Good morning. I really like that video. Pastor Brad made that. Can we thank him for that? Yeah, I just, I thought that was really, really cool. My name is Alex Rosa. I'm the pastor of student ministries here at New Life, and I am excited to kick off this new series, Experiencing Generosity. If you're a first-time guest, I know that Pastor Brad already welcomed you, but I just want to say thank you so much for coming. Can we give a round of applause to all of our first-time guests today for coming out today? Whether you're a first-time guest or maybe you just want to refresh her, we are in a 12-month series called Experiencing God Unreserved, where our goal as a church is to help all of us to recognize that God is at work around us and we can partner in what he's doing to impact this world and ultimately eternity. And so we started out by talking about experiencing growth and then experiencing God, experiencing Christmas, experiencing worship, and we just finished experiencing prayer last week and today we switch gears, but always on the same theme of experiencing God unreserved to talk about experiencing generosity And you saw it on the video, but we're talking about four specific things. Experiencing God and generosity means investing in four different areas with our time, our talent, our treasure, and our touch. And today, we get to start by talking about time, which I'm really excited about because as I got to reflect on time, I started to think about how fast it moves. Now, I'm 32, which is young, although when I was in high school, I looked at 30-year-olds and I thought, man, you guys are old as dirt. But now that I'm in my 30s, I'm like, how dare you? How dare you youngins say that about me? I'm still plenty young. But it does feel like in one or respect a long time ago that I was uh, seven or eight years old, but in some respects, it feels like it was just yesterday that I was waking up in the summer, and the only thing on my agenda was going to the pool. That was it. I didn't have a to-do list. I didn't have a phone. I didn't have people that were calling on me. I didn't have a job to go to. All it was was in the, the summers, if I went swimming, I was happy. What an amazing time to be alive. I didn't know how good it was at that point, and it seems like it wasn't that long ago that my dad enrolled me into Little League. Now, I love sports. And so baseball was something I was excited to do. I learned two things really quickly, though, in baseball. First one is my brother. I have a twin brother named Nick. He was really, really good at baseball. And two, I was terrible at baseball. Here's the thing. I did not know this until I started baseball, but I don't have any depth perception. Now, it feels like you would maybe learn that earlier on, but I didn't. I didn't know that until I was at the the plate and I was getting ready to go and the ball started coming at me and I didn't know how far away it was. Death perception means that I can't see distances. So whether I'm up here speaking or down here speaking, you're still the same distance from me. It's perfectly fine. But when I was playing baseball, the pitcher would throw it and then I would swing and then the ball would go past. And then I would be like, all right, I'll correct it next time. And then I would wait, the ball would go past and then I would swing. I I hit one ball in three years. I was bad. I was very bad. I got on base a lot though because I got hit by the ball. I couldn't dodge it. It was coming close and I was like, I think it's going to hit my, oh, yep, it did. And so I I would take the base, which is fine. So I got on base a couple of times. What I really remember though, it just sticks out like it happened yesterday. It was on third base, which was a bad place to put me. And I'm sitting there, hot corner, and someone smacks the ball, crack, and it goes right past my head without me flinching. I didn't even notice it. And then I was like, oh yeah, ball. Oh, oops. And my dad freaked out from the, uh, the bleachers. He was like, get him out of there. He's about to die. And And so I went to right field for the rest of my time in baseball. But those memories, they just stick out to you as just like, wow, how long ago was that? I remember when I was in seventh grade, 
I was invited to my first ever dance. Now, I didn't have a date. I was not nearly as cool as that. I remember going there and just hanging out in the wall and just waiting for maybe someone to come talk to me because I was too scared to talk to the ladies. And a friend of mine, a really cool friend, came up and said, Alex, I'm going to introduce you to a girl. So I was like, oh, cool. This guy's great. And so I went up, and he asked me to dance with this one girl. So we stood there like this for the song. And I just looked at her like this. Like, this is great. I didn't say anything. In my mind, I kept thinking of cool sentences to say, like, I'm Alex, what's your name? Or like, do you come here often? Or can we dance again after this? But I didn't say anything. I just was happy. And then eventually when the song ended, I couldn't think of what to do. So I just gave her a wave, which is awkward because you're like this far away from her. Just waved. And then I went away. I still don't know that girl's name, but I remember that magical dance. Like it was... Yesterday, in 2004, I was looking for a college to go to, so I I did a bunch of research, and then I went and visited Geneva College. On my way there, I took a wrong turn, went right when I was supposed to go left, and eventually I noticed that there was no college in front of me. So I pulled off to the side of the road and found a payphone. Anyone remember payphones? Yeah, time goes so fast. No one does payphones anymore, just all cell phones. But at this time, I had some change in case I needed to make a phone call on a payphone. So I went and stopped and, and called and got directions and eventually found my way there and spent four years at Geneva, or really a little uh, over three years because I got to graduate early, which was kind of cool. It doesn't seem like 10 years ago now that I met my wife at a summer camp. She was a counselor, I was a speaker, and I got to know her a little bit throughout the week. Again, I'm not very good at talking to girls in person at this point in my life still. And so I ended up Facebooking her after because I was a much safer. And then I texted her to ask her to be uh, to go on a date with me. And she said yes, but that's not the right way to do it. You should definitely do that face to face. And then I called her to ask her to be my girlfriend. Again, bad move because you're supposed to do that face to face. But when I proposed, I did that in person. So it was nice. <laughs> And she said yes, which is great. Oh, wow. That probably shouldn't be applied. I should have known that. But it's fine. Thank you. I appreciate the, the encouragement there. In 2014, we got married, which again, went by so fast. It feels like that just happened. I remember getting ready, getting the tux, getting my friends together. And, and, and it happened five years, six years ago now. And our son was born two years ago now. He'll be two in May. And so Ezra was born. And I just remember the fear that I had of, I don't know what to do. I remember being in the hospital and the nurse looks at me and says, do you want to change the, the first diaper, daddy? And I said, uh, it's weird that you said daddy, but also no. Um, can you please do like the first three and and I'll do like the next 300. And so she did. And so that was fine. And, and then I, I've done them ever since. But now I'm like an expert. I could put a diaper on anything. That's a weird thing to brag about. But I could. I've done, I've done so many diapers now. And so I, I look back at those times and I realize that time really does go fast. In the moment when we're focused on stuff, it doesn't seem that way. It seems like it can go on forever. That time is just infinite, but it goes so fast. This week, I was reminded by that whenever I heard the news that Kobe Bryant, who was a, a played in the NBA for 20 years, the Los Angeles Lakers, died tragically at the age of 41 in a helicopter accident. It shook me, because that's not that much older than I was, that I am right now, rather. And whenever I was growing up watching him, I thought that I would hear about what he was doing post-basketball for, really, almost the rest of my life. So that hit me hard and reminded me of this truth, that our time is limited And we must not waste it. God's given us a certain amount of time on this earth. We don't know when it's going to end. And while we're here, we must not waste it. 
The good news for us is that God consistently speaks about time in his word. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Now, before I finish this, I just want to highlight this first half. Because sometimes I just need to get this reminder over and over that you and I, we are God's masterpiece. That he created us individually. He made us He loves you so much. And maybe today that's all you need to take home from you, that you are loved by the almighty God, that you are his masterpiece. And the cool thing is, the verse continues, says he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Not only did he make us, but he also has a plan for us. Not only did he give us the time that we have, but he's designed us to use it for a big purpose, for his kingdom purpose. I love that. I love the fact that as people, we always want to figure out what our purpose is, and God knows it. As people, we also want to make a difference. We don't want to leave the world the same as when we came, but we want to make it better, and the way that we can do that is by being with God and getting to know a little bit more about why he designed us and the plan that he has for our lives. Everything I'm saying today, this whole message circles around one single point. It's our take-home point, and it says this, our time belongs to God, so we must Use it wisely. I love that idea that our time is not our own. Because when we're talking about generosity, it's much easier to be generous with something that doesn't belong to us. Like, for instance, if someone bought us a pizza and they said, you can have a couple slices, I wouldn't grab two slices or three or or four and then take the rest of it home and put it in my freezer. What I would do is I would grab those couple slices and say, does anyone else want a piece? But if I bought it myself, I might be more willing to just hoard it and put it in my fridge to save as a snack for like 11 o'clock at night. But when it's someone else's, we're just more willing to give it up. So with our time, when we start to think about it today, it's not ours. We didn't create ourselves. We're not our own masterpiece. God made us, designed us, formed us, and has a purpose for our plans. In Ephesians, it talks more about this. It says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So in order to make the most of our time, to not waste it, to use it wisely. We're going to look at three ways that we can invest our time today. Now, I'm using the word invest on purpose because when we spend time, it goes away. We're good at spending time as people. We can get on our phones or our tablets or on the TV, and all of a sudden we look up and three hours were spent. We don't get that time back. We feel like we've wasted it. But we're going to talk about investing because when you put in with investment, you're going to get it back, whether in this life or the next. So we're talking about three things. The first one is this. Invest as much time with God as you can. This is the first of three things that will help us live into our purpose and help us to impact the world around us if we do them. And the first one, investing as much time with God was shown to us by Jesus. When he walked this earth, he was fully man and fully God, and he still took time to invest it with God as Heavenly Father. He is perfect. So Jesus didn't need any of this wisdom that we do as unperfect people, of people imperfect, rather. Jeez, that's an imperfect way of saying imperfect. And we're imperfect, we're sinful, we're messed up. We need direction. And Jesus went and he invested time each morning with God, speaking, asking for direction. How much more do we have to do this as well? On this earth, Jesus even encouraged people that were investing time with him. In the book of Luke, it talks about two ladies, Mary and Martha, and the story goes like this. 
As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. What Jesus is saying is that it is not a waste of time to simply stop everything and be with God. A lot of times we get so focused, I know I do, on our to-do list. Everything that we have to do seems so important that we don't slow up to invest time with God. In college, I needed to know this. I was working at Walmart in the electronics department for about 35 hours a week. I was interning at a church five days a week, and I was taking a lot of credit so that I could graduate early from Geneva. And so I was busy all the time. I slept very little, and I was young enough that that was fine. But what happened is after a while, I started to get pretty stressed out and irritable and frustrated easily. And my roommate, Nate Berger, came to me one day and was like, Alex, you're not any fun to be around, which is hard to hear from one of your best friends. I was like, shut up, man. You're not fun to be around right now. You're telling me stuff like that. But he said, what I want you to do is spend time with God. And I was like, come on. Hey, I'm the youth ministry major. You're a business major, man. I should be saying this stuff to you. But I walked away realizing that that was the wise counsel, that I hadn't been spending time with God. I wasn't investing my time wisely. Instead, I was getting so fed up with all the things that I had to do. So I started to do it. In the morning, I would wake up and I'd invest some time with God, 30 minutes or 60 minutes, whatever I had uh, that morning to, to spend time with God. I would speak with him, pray and read the Bible, and I would pray. And going through those things, I started to realize something. The rest of my day became easier. Like, I mean, I still was very busy, but I was less stressed about it. And I better understood what was really important, what was urgent, what had to get done, and what could be pushed Towards later, because my mind started to be focused on the things that God was focused on. I started to be able to understand the plan that He had for me, the one that He set up for me before time began. And it's something that I need to be reminded of today, even that spending time with the Creator of the universe puts our lives into the right perspective. So much so, we're so focused on ourselves, but during this time, I was able to start focusing on what God has for me. A year ago or so, I was having the same struggle. It's getting stressed again, anxious. My schedule was so busy. I was so focused on what I had to do that I went to Pastor Barry and I, I asked him about what he does in his prayer time. I didn't feel like I was getting the most out of that time and I didn't want to waste any of it. I wanted to invest it properly and get the most back I could. And he shared with me a prayer prompt that I wanted to share with you today. I had it in a message a few months ago, so I'm just going to kind of walk through them briefly today. But I felt like if you want some structure in your prayer time or you need some help to not waste any of the time that you have, this might be helpful for you like it's helpful for me. So the first thing I do is I praise in Thanksgiving to bring Thanksgiving to God. I just bring up good things that he's done in my life, and I thank him for dying on the cross and everything I can think of. And then I go to confession, and I say, God, I'm so sorry for my sins, and that's a humbling thing. It puts me right in the right perspective because I know how big he is and how flawed I am. And then I wait on the Holy Spirit. I ask him to fill me with his gifts and the fruit. And then I read the scripture, and then after that, I reflect on his holy word and see how I can apply it to my life. 
and I pray for others, I pray for myself, I stop and I listen to God. Writing this message has really revealed that I need to do this way more. I need to invest more time just stopping. Usually I get to the point where I pray for myself and then I jump right to praise the last one. But I know that listening to God, just being with him, it's what Jesus encouraged in the word that we just read. Just investing time, I need to do more of that. And then, yeah, I end with praise and it's helped me structure my time. So what I wanted to do right now is just give us a moment. Give us a moment to invest our time this morning. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna go into prayer and I'm gonna open it and then I'm just gonna give us like 10 or 15 seconds of just silence to be with God so we can just invest a moment with God this morning and then we'll continue with step two. Dear God, I thank you for who you are. I pray that right now that you will just make your presence known and you'll speak to us in this moment of silence. God, help us to understand the purpose that you have for us. Tell us how we were created, why we were created. Show us your plans today. Continue to help us invest time with you. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. So step one, invest as much time with God as you can. The second one is invest as much time with wise people as you can. Jesus also showed us this. He gathered these 12 disciples around him that he knew that he was going to send them out to do ministry, send them out to start the church, and they had a purpose in their lives. But instead of just bringing them to him and saying, all right, hey, go on and do, he said, invest three years of your life with me. Let's do life together. He encouraged them. He challenged them. He held them accountable. He taught them. He was a wise counselor who's a mentor to these guys, and they learned. And then most of them took it and did amazing things after Jesus ascended into heaven. It's cool, the book of Proverbs talks a lot about what we should do with our time, and they talk about spending it or investing it rather with wise people. Proverbs 13 says this, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. This is cool because we know this is true. We don't have to be told this. We just from growing up, I know that if you hang out with fools, you're going to get in trouble. When I was at Walmart, I had a friend, a friend group that was probably all fools. I was back in the electronics department and they gave me a walkie talkie so that in case someone bought like a giant TV, I could call it the people doing carts and be like, hey, help so-and-so get this TV out to their car. But instead, because they gave walkie talkies to like 18, 19, 20-year-old guys, we just talked in there about girls. Uh, so we had the guy that was doing carts. He was kind of our lookout. And so he would say stuff like, uh, hey guys, just want to let you know that there's uh, an attractive girl walking in the store right now. Looks like she's uh, headed to close. And so we'd be like, all right, all right. Well, if anyone else sees her, let us know. And then someone else would say like, all right, she's headed back to electronics. And eventually what would happen is we would start challenging each other, daring each other to go talk to her because we're guys and that's what you do. And normally I was on the side of challenging the other guys because I was, again, too embarrassed to go talk to the girls. And so eventually my one friend Brandon caught up with this and he said, hey, Alex, why don't you go talk to her? I bet you won't do it. Now, as a 32-year-old man, I don't fall for such cheap tricks of peer pressure. But as a 19-year-old boy, I definitely did. I absolutely did. So I was like, you know what? Shut up, man. I will go talk to her right now. So I hung up the walkie-talkie. I threw it somewhere so they couldn't interrupt. I had this smock on, which was like a blue vest with a smiley face on. I took it off. 
because it doesn't work with the ladies. They don't like that kind of stuff. So I took that off and I threw it somewhere and then I got ready. I went and she was in this moment in the greeting card section. So I opened up a greeting card and I was like, oh, wow, this is so nice. Yeah, yeah. Get well soon. Cool, cool. Put it down and open another one. Oh, wow, that's a song. That's pretty cool. Put it down. And then I looked over, you know, like slyly, like, what's up? And so I looked over and then I made sure to go again to let her know that I noticed her. It was a pretty good plan. And so I looked back over and she locked eyes with me and I used a phrase that generally did not work. But this day, I looked at her and I said, hey, do I know you from somewhere? Now, sure, that was a lie, okay? I don't actually know her from somewhere, but that was a way to get my foot in the door to have a conversation. And so she looked back and she said, no, but, and this is real, this really happened. She said, but, do you want to? And I was like, what? Like, how did that work? Now what do I do? Like, okay, all right, okay, step one is complete. So I was all nervous and stuff, but we talked a little bit. We exchanged phone numbers. I felt great. I was about to leave and go brag to all my friends, like, suckers, I got some digits. But instead, I stopped, and I wanted to ask one more question. So I looked at her and said, oh, I don't notice you from Geneva. Do you go to college around here? And she responded with, no, I don't. I don't go to school anywhere. And I said, oh, okay, you don't go to school. You mean you don't go to college? Or she said, no, no. I mean, I go to high school. And then my mind did some quick math. <laughs> okay, so I'm 19. All right, if she's 18 or 17, that's probably fine. So I was like, all right, well, are you a senior? And she goes, nope. <laughs> I thought, okay, quicker math. All right, if she's 16, that's probably okay. Junior. And she goes, nope. And then I'm filled with dread. And I go, what grade would you say that you're in? And she goes, I'm in ninth grade. And so I ran as fast as I could out of there, man. I go and I get my smock back on. I get my walkie-talkie. My friends are like, what happened? What happened? I was like, well, good news. Good news. I got the number, all right? Bad news. It might have been illegal. So... uh... We're not calling her back. And so that was an embarrassing time. But what I learned was so real. The Bible talks about it. If you surround yourself with wise people, you'll be wise. If you surround yourself with foolish people, you will get in trouble. A lot of times we blame our friends on that. We say, oh, they're the reason that we got in trouble. But it's really our fault for surrounding yourself with such people. So when we are looking through life, we got to worry about who we're around. Because the truth is we reflect who we're around. We resemble those that we spend time with. We start to act the same way. In high school, my youth pastor showed us this example. He was talking to us, and he had a big football player named Phil Bogg. He's probably 6'4", all muscle. And he said, well, maybe not all muscle, but some muscle. And he said, get on this platform. So Phil got on this platform, and Jamie was a small, scrawny guy, and he held up his hand. And Phil uh, reaches down, and Jamie says, pick me up by my hand. So Phil tries to, to no avail, couldn't get him up on the platform. So Jamie then says, continue holding my hand, let me pull you down. And he just yanks, and Phil Boggs, this big football player, just kind of stumbles, falls off, lands on his feet. Jamie looks at us and says, it's much easier to drag someone down than it is to pull someone up. In our lives, so many times, we want to focus on pulling people up, and that's a good thing. We, we must try to do that with people, but we have to be careful because if we invest our time too much with the wrong people, we're just going to be pulled down. So we have to surround ourselves with those that are wise, 
Proverbs 27, verse 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. That's why small groups are so important to us here at New Life. We want us to surround our lives with people who are all striving to do the same thing, to live wisely, to not waste your time, to invest it in the kingdom of heaven, to make a big impact. In small groups, we can be encouraged, we can be challenged, we can be held accountable. All those things are good. And if we surround ourselves with the right wise people, we can also allow them to speak hard truths into our lives. We need to get wise people permission to critique us. Now, that's hard. I don't like to be critiqued. I don't like to be told when I'm wrong, but it's one of the only ways we can grow. If we're honest with ourselves, we're not as good as we could be. We could get better. We don't know everything. And once we start to realize that and acknowledge that, we can really start to grow. It's why mentors are so important, to ask people to breathe life into you. A couple of fun things about mentors that I've learned throughout the years is they don't have to be older than you. They just have to be wiser than you in a specific thing that you want to learn about. So once we're thinking about how to get a mentor, you start to think about what do you want to learn? If it's a spiritual thing, you start to think, who is really gifted spiritually that I can gain wisdom from? If you think about a specific trade or a talent, same thing. Who does this really well that I can learn from? And then what I've done in the past is call it up and just use those words. Would you be a mentor to me? Would you mentor me in this specific area? And every time someone said yes, people want to invest time with others that are really caring about growing and making a difference. A couple other fun facts to, to help get a mentor is ask them what they want to do to get involved. So do you want to talk on the phone? Is it easier if we get coffee or breakfast or lunch or dinner? What is best with your schedule? If they're investing the time in us, we should be careful to honor their time as well. And then if they do say coffee, lunch, breakfast, whatever, spend the money on them. Buy their food for them because that's an investment into your future as they're investing into you. One of my mentors, Ryan Paskey, is a pastor. He's been one for a long time. We often meet at Ichiban uh, for sushi because he loves sushi. And Well, I guess not often because sushi is expensive, but we do meet occasionally, and it's a great time for him to invest in me. And when I show up, I have to come with questions so that I'm not wasting our time. So asking, what would you have done in this situation? I have this hard thing coming up. What, what would you say that I should do? Um, and, and how did you experience walking into this job when you first started? Having questions prepared is really good. And the truth is, Proverbs 15 talks about this already. It says, if you listen to constructive criticism, you'll be at home among the wise. So let's find wise people that can critique us in a loving way, with truth and love, in a way that will respond and will grow. Because if we grow, then we can really make a huge impact. And truth be told, we need to be with people. We're designed to be with people. That's how we were created to, to live. That's part of our purpose. Ecclesiastes says this, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So step one, invest as much time with God as you can. Step two, invest as much time with wise people as you can. And finally, step three, invest as much time with those in need as you can. Once again, Jesus gave us the greatest example of this. He came from heaven here to earth to die for us while we were still sinners. He literally came for those in need. He would even tell people that it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's a sick, and that's who he's come to serve. He wanted to invest his time with those in need, so much so that religious leaders got mad at him for spending or investing all of his time with those sinners or those that society didn't hold in high esteem. We see this in the book of Luke where it says, 
Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Like, how dare Jesus go and eat with someone that is in as high esteem as you think that you are? But through this, Jesus taught us that, yes, we must invest time with wise people to grow, but we also must invest time with people who need help. Jesus, that's what he did. And then he commanded when he went to heaven that all of us would do the same thing, to go out throughout the world and make disciples of all nations, caring for people. Because the truth is we're called to be a light in a dark world that needs illumination. You and I both know this. People around us are hurting. There's people that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and need to know who Jesus is. Sometimes it's us investing our time by sharing wisdom or doing a task for sometimes for some people. And but sometimes it's just being there with others during their hard times. I learned this in college. A girlfriend broke up with me who I thought was the one. I thought we were going to get married. And when she broke up with me, I was so sideswept that I called all my friends crying. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And one of them called back and said, just go and meet us at Eaton Park. And so I said, okay. So I drove there. It was like 1130 or 12 at night. And we stayed there till about 3 a.m. We ate some grilled stickies at Limon and we just talked. And what, what, I, what stuck with me from there isn't the wise counsel that they gave me. I'm sure they said some cool things, but it was really just the time that they invested in me and caring for me. And it made the next morning a lot easier to face. Even though my heart was so hurting, I knew that these people were for me. So sometimes what we got to do is just be willing to invest time with those that are hurting. Not to talk, but just to be with them. That instance impacted my heart so much and Pastor Mark's heart. He was one of the ones at Eaton Park with me that we made it part of our culture document for all of our New Life students' leaders. We say this about our small group leaders. We are willing to sit in the mud with the students and be there during their darkest nights. Because sometimes that's what we got to do for those that are in need. Just plop down in the mud with them. You don't stay in the mud. Eventually you get out of the mud and you help pull them out of the mud. But sometimes... Investing just in the mud, being with them, shows the love of Jesus. And one of the ways that we can actively do this and serve people in need is by volunteering. We've set that up at New Life Students to do that. New Life Kids does the same thing with children. They walk in there, whether they're in a good mood or a bad mood, the, New Life, the kids, volunteers just serve them, invest time in them. There's a ton of other ministries here at New Life that is about investing in those that need help. It's important for us to do because volunteering in a ministry serves people in need and joins us to a cause bigger than ourselves. If we really want to make a difference, we can only do so much by ourselves. But if we join with other people, we can not only impact this world, but eternity to come. And one of the best ways to do that is investing time with those who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Investing time with people who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior partners us with God's mission to save souls for his glory. There's no greater need that anyone has than coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's the biggest need that anyone has. Because before we know Jesus, we're destined not just to live a life without purpose, without direction, but also doomed to spend eternity in hell and not invested into heaven. So we must invest time finding people who don't know Jesus and just being with them showing them the love, talk to them about Jesus. Yes, it's a little awkward. But if the answer to the question is, who do we know that isn't a Christian? If the answer to that is no one, we must broaden our circle. 
and start spending time with people who are in need. That's what Jesus did. I know for me, this has been really challenging. As a, as a pastor, I know that a lot of my time is invested with Christians. I've got to do better. I've got to invest time with people who don't know Jesus. If you're in here today, and that's you, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you that all you have to do is say, Jesus, be my Lord, which means owner. Be my Savior, which means rescuer from sin and death. He'll come into your life. He'll forgive you of your sins. You'll be joined to him in this life and in the next. And you'll really be able to live into your purpose and start to to live out this idea of impacting the world around us. And we can all really do that by investing our time with wise people, with those in need, and ultimately with God. And if we want to live that out together, we can do it with this next step, which just says, I will free up time in my day to invest with God, wise people, and those in need. Before I finish, I wanted to just read a couple questions for us today. At the end of your outline, there is a few questions that helped me think through this message. Am I investing my time right? And I thought I'd just put them in front of you so that you could maybe take them home and pray through them and, and think through them, maybe even journal about the answers. But let me just read them. Am I so focused on my own needs that I fail to see when others are hurting? What am I doing that I can cut out to create margin in my day to talk and invest time with others? When can I invest time with God this week? Who am I investing time with that makes me better? Who am I investing time with who is not a Christian? Ultimately, it comes down to this. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want you to waste yours. We have a chance to impact this world in eternity. Let's not lose that by not using our time wisely. Let's invest it in the right things. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for coming to this earth to invest your time in us. While we were still sinners, you died on the cross and you thought of each one of us. Thank you so much for showing us this example with the way you lived. I pray that right now that you'll bring up potential mentors in our minds, wise people that we could surround ourselves with so that we can learn. Help us to be humble and know that we can grow, we can improve. God, bring people into our path this week that don't know you so that we can share the good news of Jesus with them. We love you and we pray this all in your son's name. Amen.